Teach a Friend. Welcome to the Simply Teach podcast. I'm your host, Kelly Jackson, and each week I bring on a teacher friend to talk about simple ways to engage our students, stay motivated, and keep up with best practices. I'm so glad that you're here. Before we start, I wanted to share about my new Facebook group. I am so new to all of this that I didn't even realize there was a difference between a Facebook page and a Facebook group. Anyways, the group is a place for us to interact together, support, and collaborate with each other, and I would love it if you would join us. Just search the Simply Organized Teacher on Facebook and then make sure to click the group. Today, my guest on the show is Kaylee Cuthin. I know Kaylee from high school when we were in an education class together. Kaylee is a returned Peace Corps volunteer from the country of Guyana. And in case you're wondering where that is, it's located in South America. Don't worry, I had to ask her to make sure. I've been so intrigued by Kaylee's experience as an educator there, which is why I knew that I needed to have her on the podcast. While she was there, she put out a call for library books to build a library in her community. And because I always like to go big, I got my school on board and we collected hundreds of books that we shipped to her community down there. It was such a cool way to be involved in something way bigger than myself. Kaylee and I talk about her experience in the Peace Corps, and I ask her a bazillion questions because there is just so much that I want to know. And you probably will too. We also talk about what she's doing now, which is earning her graduate degree, researching humane education, and teaching humane education at a farm sanctuary. Haven't heard of that before? Me either. But don't worry, Kaylee explains all about it. Hi, Kaylee. Welcome to the Simply Teach podcast. Thanks for being here. Hi, thanks for having me. Um, so you and I actually go way back to high school. That is when I guess we met in, I mean, did we go to the same middle school? Um, I don't know. I remember we were in the same early childhood. Yes. I don't know if we went to the same middle school, but yeah, we didn't really get to know each other until high school when we were in that early childhood professions class, I think is what it was when we worked with the pre-K kids and that was fun. (laughs) Yeah, a long time ago. Um, But I've been following you since then on social media, um, watching you as you went to Guyana, right? Yeah, yep. Okay, and then another question. Is it Peace Corps or Peace Corps? Um, Peace Corps. Corps, okay, that's what I thought. Um, And so I've just been following you since then, and I just wanted to talk to you about all that kind of stuff. So will you start with just kind of giving us like a brief intro about you? Yeah, sure. Um, so I'm Kaylee. Um, I'm currently a graduate student at the Graduate School of Social Work um, here at the University of Denver. So I live in Denver now. Um, I am a return Peace Corps volunteer. So I served in Guyana for about 27 months. Uh, I did my undergrad in special ed. So I taught for a little bit before Peace Corps. Um, then I taught in Peace Corps. Then I moved to Denver. Um, and now I'm here becoming a social worker, um, but also focusing in mental health and animal assisted social work. So like animal assisted therapy and things like that. Um, and I'm mainly focusing on humane education. So I'm still kind of in the education world. I'm, I have that down on my notes of things to talk about. Cause when I was reading through all your notes, I was really intrigued by all of that. So I'm excited, um, to hear all about that, but I feel like there's a lot I want to talk to you about. So I just want to dive in to your experience about at the peace, doing the Peace Corps. Um, So, because I don't really even know what is the Peace Corps. Yeah. um, So the Peace Corps is a program that was started by um, JFK 
And it was mainly for, it has three goals. Let's see if I can still recite them. But um, one being Americans living abroad and kind of learning a culture outside of their own. Um, Two being Americans kind of teaching what the American culture is about to countries that want to know about it. Um, And then I think the third goal is having like a mutual exchange. I would have to look, I would have to look up on the website because I don't quite remember it. Um, But yeah, so it was mainly a um, service project that started. Uh, People go abroad for 27 months. Um, We're placed in developing countries that um, have an agreement or have requested that they would also like volunteers there. Um, And there's different programs that you can go there through. So I went through education, being that my background is in education. Um, I was a community educator, but I mainly taught kindergarten and helped develop the library that you helped tremendously with. Majority of our books were from you. Um, And uh, yeah, that was my main thing. But we also had a health program um, and an environmental program that just started in Guyana. And it just depends where you're placed. Some places have a um, HIV program, depending if there's maybe an HIV crisis in that country, um, youth development programs, there's, there's various programs, uh, around like those types of categories. Okay. So you said volunteer, is it like strictly volunteer? You don't get paid or how does that work? Yeah. So they, the government covers you while you're there. So you don't spend any of your own money. Um, but you're given a monthly stipend, Um, which is equivalent to what the locals in your country or your village live in. So um, I lived like in a place where I had um, downstairs neighbors and um, like I pretty much made the same amount of money they made per month. Um, Because one of the goals of Peace Corps is that you really truly have that experience of learning what it's like to live um, at that stipend and everything else. Um, and then if you finish the 27 months, then you get, gosh, I don't remember how much money it was. I think you got like $5,000 or something if you finish the 27 months. Um, but there's also different scholarships and programs you can do. Like I had a friend that did the fellowship program. Um, and hers was that if she did the Peace Corps, it was like part of her master's program and it counted towards her master's. Um, And then actually like what I'm doing right now, doing my master in social work, um, Peace Corps provided a scholarship for me here. Oh, so cool. Yeah. So there's also like other types of things. Same with like loans. Um, I know some people like Peace Corps will help pay off some of your loans if you have loans and things like that. So how did like, how did that even come up? You wanting to do that? To do Peace Corps? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, that's a good question. I think that I had always like really wanted to go abroad at some point and live abroad. Um, and I just always really liked the idea of Peace Corps. And um, my old babysitter, who used to babysit me when I was little, um, actually became a Peace Corps recruiter and she served for Peace Corps in Costa Rica. Um, so I had my dad go to the info sessions with me because my parents were like, kind of skeptical about Peace Corps. Uh-huh. And then we went and it was like, kind of went over like what it's about and everything else. And then I was really interested and um, I applied after that. And yeah. That's so like, I feel like I didn't even know what it was until I saw you go and do it. I feel like I hadn't heard of it. So you were in Guyana. Um, 
which is South America. Is that correct? Yeah, it's in South America. It's um, in between Venezuela and touching Brazil and then Suriname's to the right, which is also a smaller country. Um, Most people know Guyana because that saying, like, don't drink the Kool-Aid came from Jim Jones. It was like a big cult, not keeper, but yeah, that happened in Guyana. So interesting. I did not know that. Um, yeah, you mentioned the library. That was such a fun project that, so you, for people listening, you were, well, I guess you tell it, you were starting a library for the community. Yeah. I got there. And, um, a lot of times when Peace Corps places you in a village, there's, um, typically like tasks or goals that they want you to accomplish. Um, and so that was one of the things they'd mentioned. They had like this vacant, like huge room, um, at the elementary school, and they were wanting it to turn be turned into a library, but they didn't have any furniture or books or anything. Um, and the other thing in Guyana is that um, it's about 75% of people um, do not know how to read. Uh, and so I really wanted to have like a very child-friendly, welcoming library that would encourage people to like want to learn to read. And um, that could be suitable for like any reader. Yeah. And then you did that, you, right? I mean, it completed and did you ever get like computers or anything like that? Um, we started to towards the end, but the thing is it's, it's pretty tricky because, um, electricity is not very consistent at the school. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it was kind of hard figuring out like where we would do that. And then on top of that, like most people don't have computers, so they don't know how to use computers. So um, it would also take a teacher that like would have to learn how to use the computer to teach how to use the computer. And, um, but I think eventually that's their goal is to get computers. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when I offered to help you, um, I was super excited about it. And like my school really rallied around like donating books. And then it came time to like figure out how to ship them. And I was like, oh, Lord, what have I gotten myself into? But that was a really cool process, like even learning how to do that. I didn't know that, you know, like when you see, I guess, like old school mail type stuff, like in bags, you know, and they straight up gave me like these huge bags and they were like, here, fill as many books as you can in there. Yeah. And And they were so thankful. Like we would spend hours just going through all those books and kids would just be like freaking out as they were pulling them through. Um, cause they'd really never had books outside of the ones that the ministry provided, which were just like textbooks kind of for class. Um, and is the ministry like the government? Or? Yeah. Sorry. I should have said that. Yeah. The ministry's um, their form of government there. Um, yeah. Okay. So that's kind of where they get like their books and their school supplies. Um, but it's pretty, limited with the amount of resources that they get. And so they hadn't really like had just children's books and things like that before. And they're really excited. What was the lifestyle like there? You said you lived truly like a local. And I remember seeing Mm -hmm. like your Facebook post and reading about it, but tell us what it was like Um, living there. Gosh. Um, I mean, I think it depends where you were living in the country as well. um, Since places could be very different. So I happened to be, in a farming village. Um, and I was about an hour and a half bus ride away from the capital, um, on the coast, but it was mainly just farming. Um, there were a lot of livestock there, but they don't, one thing is like, they don't really have fences and things like that. So 
you're like walking to school and then like a bunch of sheep, like walk in front of you, you know, you're walking with cows and pigs and stuff like that (laughs) on your way to school. Um, which I really like that. Um, but people wise, a lot of people farming was the priority. Um, so there definitely were kids that sometimes didn't make it to school because they needed to stay back and help on the farm. Um, I'm trying to think what else. Were they like farming for like agriculture or were they farming for themselves so that they had food for the day? Yeah, it was mainly for themselves. It's mainly people living day by day. So like my next door neighbors, that was their, that was their jobs. Like they lived on a farm, they had animals, they built their house themselves. Um, and they just tended to the farm all day and like ate the chicken in their backyard and, um, grew crops that they ate and that was their lifestyle. And that was pretty common. Um, they're also like, I'm trying to think what other people did. There were a variety of jobs, but like it was mainly women were typically teachers. Um, there's definitely still some gender roles. Um, but police officers, uh, police officer men were a lot of times police officers or taxi drivers, um, or minibus drivers, which are like a, a van kind of, um, mm-hmm. I'm trying to think what else farming, um, people, some people own like snackettes. It was kind of like this little like snack area. You could just go buy snacks. Um, like a gas station type S kind of. Yeah. But there weren't convenience store. Yeah. But no gas station. <laughs> um, was the adjustment hard? Like, I mean, well, okay. That's a dumb question. I'm sure it was hard, but what was the adjustment like adjusting to, cause I think I read that you like walked to your job and, you know, like just missing the conveniences or not even missing, but just not having the conveniences of American life. Yeah. Yeah. It was definitely tricky at first. So the thing with Peace Corps is that you spend your first um, three months in training. So like everyone's in um, the same village with host families and you all go through like the three month training, which goes over like language and um, cultural differences and things like that, like preparing you for your service. Um, So I'd spent my first three months in a different village with all the other Peace Corps volunteers. And then at the end of those three months, they split everyone up throughout the country. Um, And then you get placed in your permanent village where you live for two years. Um, So I think in the beginning, it was really nice to have like a lot of volunteers to kind of like adjust to the country with. Um, And I had an amazing host family that I'm still really close to. Um, And then when I got to my village, I was uh, the only person in my village and that kind of freaked me out at first because I was like the only American, um, only person that wasn't Guyanese. And, um, I would get like stared at a lot and stuff, um, just because I looked really different. Um, but people in my village were like thrilled that I was there and really welcoming. And I feel like my first month there, it was like on a daily basis, someone was at my door, like bringing me food or bringing me fruit or like people were just so sweet. And it was like such a tight knit community. Like you knew all your neighbors um, and everyone walked everywhere. Like there was a main road that ran through my village, but for the most part, a lot of people walked everywhere. Um, And so I really enjoyed that, like just how quickly I was able to get to know people in my village. And, um, 
but yeah, I don't know if I kind of went was there ever <laughs> do what I don't know if I went off track on that. No, 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 no. Was there ever a time where you were like, I want to quit and go back home? Um, yeah, I think, yeah, probably. <laughs> I mean, I think <laughs> that when I first got there, I'd like read a lot before I went to Peace Corps. Like I kept trying to find people that had served for Peace Corps and like read their blogs. And I'd read one person's blog who said like the first six months were the hardest. And then after that, it would become easier. Um, and again, I think that was like this person, this person's personal experience. That's not going to be the case for everyone. Um, but for me, that did turn out to be most of the case. Um, they have like what they call like the Peace Corps roller coaster. And it's supposed to be like the first six months you're like going through like the culture shock and things like that. And then you kind of get used to things after your first year. And um, so I definitely feel like after the first six months and I got through all the culture shocks um, that I started really adjusting to everything and kind of getting used to how it was. Um, and then my second year just kind of flew by. I did have like, um, a cat that got sick and passed away. And I think that was really hard. Like there were definitely hard times. Right. But I kind of kept the idea of like, I'm just going to take it a day at a time. Um, and then, you know, taking it a day at a time turned into taking it a month at a time. And then, before I knew it, it was like two years had flown by. So that's crazy <laughs> how fast yeah. it goes. Um, so your main role while you were there was being, or one of your main jobs was being a kindergarten teacher. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. That's what I did pretty much like my first, my whole first year. The second year was mainly based on the library. Um, but yeah, I was a kindergarten teacher. Okay. What is teaching kindergarten like in Guyana? Um, it was actually at first, um, it was challenging. I love little kids and I miss my kids so much there. Um, but I had about like 40 kids to myself and and then like, um, I can't, I cannot even (laughs) like 40 kindergartners. Oh my goodness. I can't even, (laughs) which wasn't super common, but maybe common. I don't know. Um, a lot of times there was like one teacher per grade and things like that. But then I ended up like starting the PBIS system and with my kids or just my class and that helped tremendously. And then I would have like a treasure box we do on Fridays and they were things that had never been implemented for kids before. And so it was like really exciting for them. Um, and then a couple months in, um, another teacher was hired and we were able to split the class. So then after that, I kind of made like, um, one half of the class that was at a different reading level. And then one half of the class that was at a, you know, at a more similar reading level. Um, so we split the two between me and this other teacher and, um, and yeah, and then we continued the PBIS system between both our classes and the behavior charts and everything. And, um, and then I really enjoyed it. I really liked it. It was just a matter of, I think, like everything else in Peace Corps, it was just kind of getting used to that culture and, and um, like adjusting to how things are run there. Right. So what would a typical, like when I think about teaching here in the States, like you have to have a 90, or at least in Texas, a 90 minute math block, a two hour language arts block, you have to have guided reading. And did you do those kind like guided reading type stuff? What, what did your lessons consist of? Yeah. Um, 
That's a really good question. And I definitely had difficulty getting used. So one, um, Guyana is part of the considered to be part of the Caribbean. It's Mm -hmm. it's the only not Island that's Caribbean. So they're part of the Caribbean um, curriculums, which is called like CARICOM. Um, So they do like the same reading curriculums and everything that like Jamaica does and everywhere else. Um, And their reading blocks are based off of like 30 minute lessons. Um, which to me always felt like it wasn't enough time <laughs> since, you know, I think a lesson. So you still have that problem down there is what you're saying. It's not. Just yeah. Problem. So there were definitely challenges I had with, um, getting used to how, yeah, the time blocks were, but, um, but I still tried to like be creative and work with like the subjects they're wanting to teach and doing it in a way that was interactive for the kids. And, um, it, I mean, it was just a lot of creativity, I think is what I, I got out of it was like, okay, I have limited resources and I need to be really creative with these limited resources. Um, and it could be fun at times. So (laughs) do you feel like your college education prepared you for that? Or do you feel like a lot of it was learning it on the fly? Um, I'd say both. Like there were definitely things that I'd learned from college, um, like with games and activities and stuff that I think I brought into the classroom. Um, but it was also a lot of kind of like, I actually had internet at my house. It wasn't like super strong internet, like what we have right now, but, um, but it was enough that I could like look up stuff on Pinterest or like, you know, so it was also kind of getting creative with like the supplies that I had and looking up different things. So yeah, I guess it was both. You mentioned that, um, the classroom was just like open windows and open door, like almost like an open air setting, right? Yeah. So animals and people and, I I can't even imagine like how stressful that would be. Plus 40 kindergartners running around. (laughs) I know. I feel like I'm making it out to seem like this, like, ah, but, um, but no, I actually, it was actually a really incredible experience. Like if anyone asks me if they're interested in joining Peace Corps, I'm always like, yes, I definitely recommend looking into it. It's an incredible experience. Um, but, but yeah, it was very open and that was definitely something I had to get used to. Um, and it, it's one of those things where I realized, like, to me, it seemed, like, really chaotic. But for all these kids and these teachers, this is normal. Um, mm-hmm. And this is their everyday life. And so then I was like, oh, I'm the only one who thinks this is chaotic. <laughs> and then I eventually got used to it. Um, but, yeah, there were definitely times, like, my classroom was on the first floor. And we would eat lunch in the classroom and everything. And um, it was definitely like, like kids would be eating crackers at their desk and crumbs would fall down and like a chicken would come in the room. <laughs> oh my gosh. Crumbs or whatever. Oh my gosh. Wait, do, you don't have to have janitors then, I guess. <laughs> we did have one cleaning lady, but yeah, the chickens helped. Um, but yeah, I can remember like my first few weeks teaching and there being a chicken in the room. I'm like, what is going on? Oh my gosh. But yeah, it was just a very different environment, but, um, but I, but I wouldn't like say use terms like it was better or it was worse or anything like that. Like it was just really different and, you know, a good experience to be exposed to how different um, classrooms are. What do you think you learned like out of that um, experience 
personally, like what do you think you learned? And then related to education, what do you think you learned from your experience there? From just Peace Corps in general? Mm-hmm. Um, gosh, that's really a hard question. And I didn't prep you with that one. I think that's hard because I feel like I learned so much. And I think yeah. that's the thing is that I went in feeling like, you know, I'm going to make all this change. And, and I would like to think that I did make change in ways with individuals. But, um, but for the most part, it changed me. And I think that's, um, that's something that I underestimated was, you know, how much, how much I learned from it. Um, and I hope that others learn too, but I definitely learned a lot out of it. Um, I think one thing that really stuck with me was, um, one volunteer said like, you know, I feel like I haven't learned to be thankful for all I have. I've learned to be thankful because we can survive off of so little, um, I don't know if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Like flipping it around, looking at it another way. Yeah. yeah. And it did make me, it definitely made me realize that there were a lot of things I have in my life that I didn't have to have. Um, and that I'd got, I don't know that I think sometimes we, we forget, we mislabel things as we have to have them mm-hmm. and we don't actually have them. Um, and I think I just kind of learned like that there's so many different cultures and worlds out there you know, and, and it, it's exciting. And I just, I hope that like everyone can have an opportunity to, to be able to learn that there's, there's so many different learning style or not just learning styles, but like just worlds in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Cause we get so set in our ways here in America. And I mean, we, part of it is we can't help it. We don't know what else is out there until we have the opportunity to go and experience it like that. But it's good to hear from someone who has been there. I remember you like didn't even have running water in your house, right? Um, I did. So I was like, I did half the year. <laughs> That's very confusing. I had a rain tank. Uh-huh. Um, and Guyana is in the, it's in the rainforest. So it's like, um, not the Amazon rainforest, it's connected to the Amazon rainforest, but it's pretty similar, uh-huh. like piranhas and anacondas and everything like that. Um, but anyways, so it goes through being the rainforest, it goes through a dry season to a wet season where it rains all the time. Um, so my rain tank, um, could only like the water could only reach into my house if it was filled to a certain level. Um, and so typically the dry season, it was never filled. Um, so I would have to like bucket water from outside downstairs, but then during the wet season, it was usually fill and fill and it would run. Cause I remember, house. I feel like I remember seeing something on social media about, I guess maybe your mom came to visit or something. I don't know. You went to a hotel. Oh, when I, I know you're talking about when I went to Barbados, I met my mom in Barbados. Yeah. And you were like, I have running water in my shower. Like just, I remember <laughs> you commenting on like how nice it was to take yeah, in a hot shower. Yeah, we didn't have temperature control was the other thing. So even if I had running water, it was like freezing cold, um, which is actually really nice because Guyana's super hot and there's no AC or anything. So. so it was refreshing. Yeah, it was really refreshing. Did you get to travel much while you were there or was it pretty? Um, yeah, I actually did a bit of traveling, which was really nice. Like Suriname, um, which is the country next to it, is a Dutch country. And they have a really big um, New Year's celebration, like with a huge festival and parade. And they actually call it Old Year's celebration. Um, And it's like instead of celebrating the new year that's coming in, they're celebrating the past year that they've 
live. That's cool. Yeah. I really like the concept. Um, so I went there and for new year's one year and that was a ton of fun. Um, and then I also did like Barbados, um, Trinidad and Tobago, um, Brazil, uh, Peru and Panama. That's awesome. Yeah. It was, it was nice like being able to be so close to all those places. Right. It's not like a super far travel or plane ride or do you keep in contact with anybody from Guyana? Like any of the locals there? I do. Yeah. Um, so I was part of like this task force that would host these women's empowerment camps. Um, it was called gender and development task force, but we would do these camps called like camp glow and camp bro. And I still talk to, um, a bit of like the girls that attended that camp. Um, and I still talk to a lot of people from my village, um, and that worked at the school. Um, and then, yeah. And then a lot of Peace Corps volunteers, I still am in close contact with. I guess you kind of form like almost like a, what do you call it? Like a tribe or yeah, kind of like a really close knit group of, yeah. you know, cause you're all sharing the same experience. Yeah. It, it is really nice. Even here in Denver, um, is a really large Peace Corps community and like who I live with now, like my roommates are returned Peace Corps volunteer that I had never known. And, um, so that's another cool thing about Peace Corps is it kind of like you just instantly become part of this community kind of afterwards. Yeah. I totally get that. Do you have any plans to go back and visit? I'd like to at some point. I don't right now. Um, cause I don't think it's, you know, suitable for how my time is being in grad school and financially and everything. Um, but yeah, I definitely would love to go back at some point. You mentioned grad school. What are you, what are you going for? Um, so I'm doing my master of social work. Uh Um, so I'm wanting to become a social worker. Um, so I'll graduate in June. Um, eventually trying to become an LCSW, which Uh is, um, a licensed clinical social worker. Um, and it would require pretty much when I graduate, I'd have two years of supervision and, and it's a type of therapist that would do counseling with like a lot of times people in like vulnerable populations and things like that. Uh Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I want to do that with animal assisted therapy or humane education. Okay. So perfect segue. I want to, I honestly, like I hadn't really heard of it until I was reading over the questions I sent you. So, um, you're doing humane edu- education at a farm sanctuary. Is that right? Yes. Yep. Okay. <laughs> Please tell me. Yeah. So it started, I started getting interested in it because my professor, um, Sarah Bexel, who's incredible. She started a humane education program, um, at this Panda research breeding base in China, like years ago, still works there. Um, Anna's here in Denver. And so I did an internship for her, this past summer. So I did humane education in China this past summer for six weeks. And then I came back here and started. What you went to China? I did. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I may have seen that, but yeah, I, that's awesome. For like a month and a half, I guess. Uh-huh. But yeah, so I kind of learned about it there. Um, and then I came back here and started doing it at a farm sanctuary. So to further go into it, um, it's mainly right now implemented at sanctuaries and animal shelters um, but okay. it's trying to get more into schools. Um, so it used to be taught in schools like way back in like, I think like the 1800s, but it wasn't 
referred to as humane education. It was a lot of times called like character education. Um, uh-huh. And it's mainly on teaching um, empathy and compassion for like all living beings. So like the planet, the environment, animals, people, etc. Um, the goal is that it would just help us become more aware of like reading body language and understanding one another and helping with like environmental issues that go on and animal welfare issues and um, people issues, <laughs> every, you know, issues all over. Um, and the goal of it is that it would become mandatory in all schools. Um, so it's slowly trying to become that there's, I think 13 states right now that um, it's in their curriculum, but it's not mandatory. Um And so, yeah, that's kind of what I'm doing right now is trying to figure out like who knows about it, who's ever heard of it. Um, I know a lot of schools already have like an anti-bullying program or um, second step or things that may already be teaching some of that. Um, But a lot of times the programs focus specifically on humans. Yes. They don't also include like the environment and animals. Um, And so just trying to figure out if there's ways that like that could also be kind of tweaked into that. Um, and yeah, hopefully that kind of answers it. No, that does that. Okay. I'm still stuck on what is a farm sanctuary? Um, so it's mainly, I guess I should just say sanctuary, but I say farm sanctuary. It's mainly rescued farm animals. Okay. Um, so, but it's not just farm animals at this sanctuary. Like we have ferrets um, and some reptiles, a couple wallabies and a couple camels. So it's not just farm animals. Um, but a sanctuary in general are animals that have been rescued, um, from either neglect or abuse, um, slaughter cases, different things like that. Um, and so that's where most of our animals have come from are those types of situations. And it's on like a farm setting. Okay. Cause I was talking to a friend after I read your stuff, I was talking to her at car rider duty and I was telling her about this farm sanctuary. I was like, what do you think it is? And she was like, it's probably, um, like a farm where they don't slaughter the animals like to eat. And I was like, Oh, yeah. that, that might make sense. Yeah. Yeah. So, like we have, yeah, we have a cow, like we have one dairy cow that they took cause she dried up and like a place was going to slaughter her cause she couldn't get milk anymore and then another one of our cows was like going to be a meat cow and she was rescued and then like one of our pigs was going to be a meat pig and he was rescued so there's definitely like those types of situations where they were in slaughterhouses um but there's also a variety of situations so it's not just you know those backgrounds so what are you are you doing stuff with the animal like what does it look like yeah Um, that's a good question. I feel like, um, it's a pretty day, but it depends on the day. Uh Um, so it's been a lot of kind of learning, uh, to manage a sanctuary. Um, so with what I was talking about, like becoming an LCSW and doing animal assisted therapy, I really want to work on a therapeutic farm, (laughs) which is another term I'll throw out. Um, Mm -hmm. There's places like Green Chimneys, which is in New York. Um, There's some in Colorado, but they're pretty much like farm sanctuary settings that serve specific populations. Um, So like there's a residential treatment center called Green Chimneys, and it's mainly like kids with autism and emotional behavioral disorders, and it's on a farm setting. So they 
go to school. Some of them live there in a group home, um, but they're also like learning kind of humane education and different things like that um, through working with the animals and things like that. Hmm. Yeah. I am so intrigued. (laughs) This is so interesting to me. A new, Um, started a new, it's kind of like a new, I don't know, like it's not super well known. No, it's Mm -hmm. not. And so I feel like I, like I made my list of questions, but now I have all these other questions that are like coming into my mind. Um, so what kinds of things would you like to see? Um, well, okay. I guess public education in general take on for this, but also what could the teacher listening to this right now, what is something he or she could practically do in their classroom now, even if it's not a mandated expectation? Yeah. Um, gosh, that's a great question. So I think that what I really like about humane education is that I feel it can be easily implemented. Um, so there's tons of free resources out there on humane ed. Um, one being the humane society, um, has a lot of lessons and things like that you can download for free. Um, and they even have some where they've listed like common core standards and how they correlate with those. Um, so does, there's one called, I think it's called heart. Um, I think if you Googled like humane education heart, they have a lot of lessons. So there's different like free lessons out there. Um, Mm -hmm. but also the red Rover books, um, there are children's stories that teach literacy elements that can be met under the common core standards, but they teach it through like a humane education lens. Um, but another thing on that is that I think that humane ed can be implemented through any lesson. So like, even if it's a math lesson, I think that could still somehow be turned into, um, you know, how many, whatever species there are, and that can be turned into endangered species lesson or, um, I mean, there's different ways that I think like we can be talking about some of the issues that are going on, um, Uh that can be taught in multiple subjects. And I think the overall importance of it is that children are, you know, the futures of the world. And so they're going to be the ones that are going to be wanting to make those changes. And so the more that we can kind of implement these ideas into these lessons, the more that they'll be aware of it and they'll be thinking about, you know, how we can be making these changes. Mm -hmm. Just integrating it into what you're already doing. Yeah. Yeah. I think about like, like I do classroom meetings and our campus has adopted something called seven mindsets. And it's these like seven mindsets to operate under, um, I think the one we're talking about right now is the time is now. So like whatever you want to do, do it. And, and they're good mindsets and they're great. And I like am fully supportive of it. But when I was reflecting on everything you had written down in the little form I sent you, um, I was realizing that all of those things are focused, not all of them, but most of them are focused on me or you like on themselves and not on, um, even really looking at other people. Like when you mentioned uh, reading body language, like I've never used that verbiage with my kids saying, well, can you look at the way that they're standing right now or the way that their body is communicating and use that to help you know what's going on? I've never even thought about using that with my kids. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it's interesting that like it's not implemented in our, 
you know, I was never taught that kind of stuff in class. And, mm-hmm. um, so it, it is interesting that it's not currently taught in our curriculums. Um, and it feels like it's such an important thing, you know, and I feel like, I mean, especially today, there's just so much, um, disagreement and things like that, that goes on in our society. And along with all the other issues with endangered species and animal welfare and factory farms and a lot of things that we don't want to discuss because they're not, you know, uplifting topics to talk about. But I think that if we were implementing humane education and teaching empathy and compassion, then we would be lessening, you know, these issues that go on. We'd be listening to each other more. We'd be more empathetic towards one another's perspectives. We'd be wanting to know where our food comes from and the process our food had to go through to become our food. And, um, I mean, just more empathetic about everything, you know? Yeah. I've, um, in the past couple of years done a lot of like research and learning and reading about, um, like farming and like you said, animal rights and, or not even, not animal rights, but like what they go through the slaughterhouses and all that stuff. And it's made me very, um, more cautious about what I buy and that kind of stuff. And there's times I want to say stuff to my kids, but I'm like, I think the hard part for me is like, I don't want to cross a boundary with their parents, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Which totally makes sense. And yeah. And I completely agree. Like there's, um, I think we have to be careful about not like reaching this political kind of standpoint with all of it. Um, but then I feel like that's kind of my hope in humane education too, is that if we are teaching this empathy and compassion for all living beings, then we don't need to bring in the politics of it. Like people will just listen to each other more and be more willing to be thinking about these issues that are going on. Because at the end of the day, like we do have a lot of environmental issues and things like that, that are going on um, that I think it's okay for our kids to, to talk about and kind of think about like, what are some solutions to this? And I don't know. I think it's, it's critical for us to do that if we, if we want to keep the planet around. Yeah. Um, so you're doing research right now, right? On all of this. Yes. Yeah. I'm doing research and then I'm helping kind of create a program at the sanctuary. They already have one. Um, but I'm just helping them like alter it and we're going to implement it at a camp in March. Um, and then I'm going to a conference in March for humane educators, um, where I'm going to present the results from the survey. Oh, cool. Oh, the survey that you sent me earlier today. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I have to start analyzing the results. Do what? I have to analyze the results. Well, for people listening, if you are at all interested in this, Kaylee has a survey and I'll link it up in the show notes that I write. Um, just, I think it was like eight questions. It didn't take me very long at all. I think it says it takes approximately eight minutes has been the average time. It's super short, um, but it's super helpful if anyone working in schools could take it. Um, although I kind of gave away some of the answers already. (laughs) (laughs) Humane education is, um, But yeah, it's just kind of seeing like if it's implemented in schools, if any teachers are interested in learning about it, um, what some challenges might be, you know, what, what, why it's not implemented and things like that. So yeah, I would really appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. I'll include it in the show notes. Okay. I want to wrap up, but before, are you, um, this is totally, well, kind of, um, off topic. Are you like a fiction book reader? Um, some, I do some. Okay. Because I read this book, um, it's called Leaving Time by Jodi Picoult. Mm-hmm. 
And do you know who Jodi Picoult is? She's a pretty famous fiction author. I don't know if I can. Um, it is a, it's, re, it's an amazing book. Like I read this book back in 2016. I'm still talking about it, but the book takes place at an elephant sanctuary. Oh, really? And mm-hmm. yes. And I like, it was so fascinating to me to read it because she talks a lot about elephants and how they, um, are like a family and they stick together. And when one of, one of them dies, they like mourn the loss of their family member. And oh, it was such a good book. So if you're at all interested in fiction books and I don't know, I thought that might yeah, and that's pique your interest leaving, because what is it called? Leaving time. That's so awesome. Yeah. Elephants are incredible. Um, I actually studied them with one of my classes and it was, um, we went to like, were you in China when you were doing that? Because I do think I remember seeing a picture. That one was in Kenya. So I actually, Kenya. Yeah. Oh, Kenya. Okay. So I went to Kenya last winter, I guess that was, um, but yeah, it was like an elephant orphanage. Um, so elephant poaching is, um, a really big issue right now. Um, mm-hmm. and baby elephants, like similar to what you were saying, though, the mothers will be kind of mothers have the tusk and that's why they're being poached. Um, and mm-hmm. the babies won't leave the parent side. They'll mourn by the parent side until, unless they're rescued. Um, and so that's what the orphanage is mm-hmm. that they go out and they find these dead carcasses and then there's typically like a baby sitting next to them. So they take the baby and they're all this orphanage and they raise the babies and, um, then they go and release them in this national park and oh, they, there's this like rescued elephant tribe that is formed. Um, and they've all lost their parents. And so it was really, it, it, it just like, I know it was really, heart. it's a, it's a sad thing that's going on, but it was really neat to see, um, you know, the happy side of all these elephants that are being saved and they've all kind of like formed this little community together. Um, they're really incredible, incredible creatures. Yeah, I would advise if anybody was interested, like, I feel like I learned a lot about sanctuaries and um, a- about elephants. So if anybody, like, is interested, I would recommend it because it's also this really good um, mystery. The daughter, her mom, like, the human daughter, her mom dies um, at this elephant sanctuary, and she's trying to figure out how she died and um there's like three characters the girl and then um like a psychic or something like that and the detective who worked on the case and she like each chapter is told from their perspective and then there'll be pers- um journal entries from the mom that the girl has and so she it's very i don't know it's so cool how it's all interweaved together and there's like this huge twist at the end and it's all intermingled with like elephants and yeah. I don't know, just, it was a really good book. So, um, okay. I want to wrap up and I want to ask, um, three questions. I'll start first with your biggest pet peeve My right biggest now pet peeve in, teaching. in teaching. I'm trying to think what I put. Well, I think it would be probably like, I feel like the beginning of the school year is always just kind of like getting to know the kids and getting to know like who can sit next to who and, Figuring out like that classroom management, I think is always, um, a tricky part. So I would say that's my pet peeve, but I also feel like that's like kind of the exciting part of like learning what works with your classroom and what doesn't. 
Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Mm. So what's keeping you sane right now? Can be part, like, can be like attack, like a material thing or just like a Um, mindset thing. So I started doing again this year, what I did in Peace Corps and it was monthly resolutions. Um, Gretchen Rubin does. Uh Um, They're based off of like her book called the happiness project. And pretty much it's like every month I have like, I think it's like five or six goals that I can tick off every day, but they're like fun goals. Like this month is my gratitude month. And like one of them is like, do something happy um, or something that makes you happy. And so I can like check it off every day. And I'm like, Oh, well I have to watch Grey's Anatomy. I haven't done something. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, hey, but it's awesome. nice to kind of, cause I think it's so easy to get so like caught up in work and doing what I love as well and being passionate in my work. But it's also really important to like take time for ourselves and do things that relax us and everything. Yeah. Yeah. I'm having to learn that too. Okay. And then my last question, what is your favorite kid moment that you have? Um, so I'm going to go from Peace Corps then. Um, okay. So from Peace Corps, and this was kind of, I feel like I was unintentionally not realizing it was called humane education, but I think that I was doing humane education um, unknowingly. And so there are a lot of like street dogs and a lot of stray cats in Guyana and being an animal lover. Um, it was really hard for me to like not take puppies home when I'd find them on the side of the street or like take kittens home when I'd find them and stuff. And, um, that wasn't very normal behavior. Um, and so my kids kind of caught on pretty quick to that and they would start bringing me kittens at recess. And like, um, a lot of my kids would like draw pictures of our whole classroom, like with animals. And, um, one of my students told me how her cat passed away and she like had a funeral for her cat. It was just a lot of, um, it was really sweet. And I think that, um, and I don't know if that makes sense because I don't know if I fully explained like the culture and that I just feel like, animals are looked at very differently there. And it was really neat to see these five-year-olds um, reevaluate the way that they were looking, viewed like cats and dogs and mm-hmm. stuff um, simply through seeing the way I interacted with them. And, um, and then they kind of grew that interest for them as well. And I don't know, that was like a really neat thing to see. Yeah. Well, and I think one of the most powerful things of being an educator is like letting, inviting kids in to things that you're passionate about and things that you care about and letting them see that and develop that. Yeah. I think it's really, really cool. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast with me. I really appreciate it. And, um, I think people are going to be super interested in our conversation and all the different things that we talked Mm -hmm. about. And I just want to tell you that I'm so proud of you. Like, going out and doing things that are just out of the ordinary and different and like really trailblazing a a path for, for teachers. I think that's awesome. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for all of your support and everything in the library would not be where it's at if it wasn't for you. So thank you. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah. I'm, I was glad to do it. Y'all, that was such a fun podcast for me to record. I send everyone I interview a questionnaire to help guide me and them for our conversation. And I finished reading her answers earlier today and I immediately messaged her to tell her that I was so excited and that I had so many questions for her. 
I'd never even heard of humane education, but now I can say that I have. And I may not have a curriculum to follow right away, but even in our conversation, I was encouraged to think about having intentional conversations with my students about empathy for other people, animals, and our environment. And that part about reading body language, I never even thought about that, but it is so powerful. And I'm going to start that with my kids tomorrow. And hey, if you're up for it, let's help Kaylee out by filling out that survey on humane education, but answer the questions like you haven't already heard of it. Okay. I'll link to it in the show notes on my website. It was so fun getting to chat with Kaylee and hear all about her adventures. Hope that you feel motivated to try something new, step out of your comfort zone, do something different, teaching related or not. Friends, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Simply Teach. It has been so fun to hear the positive feedback and encouragement that you're getting from this. That's my whole reason for starting this, to encourage you. Don't forget to head over to the simplyorganizedteacher.com for all of the show notes. You can visit the store to grab your copy of the Simply Organized Classroom eBook, a book I wrote all about ways to organize and manage your classroom effectively. Use the code SIMPLYTEACH for 10% off any items in the store. The fun music you're listening to, that's provided by hooksounds.com. That's a wrap up this week episode. Thanks for listening to Simply Teach Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's interview. Make sure you join back for the next new episode. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and leave a review for great teachers like you can find us.